about questions that we Christians need to ask. One is, how can I enter into God's presence on a daily basis? How can I worship Him in public and private? How can I really experience Him? And one of the things we've established is we have to have a sincere heart. And a sincere heart means that our our mind, our will, our emotions are really given over to him. F.B. Meyer was a man that God greatly used in his day. And he knew something was wrong in his life. And a friend told him there was maybe a deficiency in his surrender. So he went to his room and he began to pray. And God said to Meyer, I want all the keys of your life. And he gave the keys, but God said, there's one key missing. It's a small, insignificant little thing, God. But God said, I'm the Lord of all, or I'm not Lord at all. And in desperation, Myers surrendered that last key. And he began to make a difference for God. He began to enter into God's presence and help other folks enter it too. So the first thing then is we have to have a sincere heart. The second thing is we have to have a clean heart. Not only with the heart that's totally surrendered, but as the writer here says in, in Hebrews, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And what he's saying is that we have to stand before God without any sin in our lives if we're going to enter his presence. Psalm 24 says, Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. And so if we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us, forgive us our sins, and he will enable us to have it if we have that clean heart if we want it. Joseph Carroll, in his book, How to Worship Jesus Christ, tells about a visit he made to Japan in which he was invited to speak at a conference which was close to the great mountain Fuji. And he was looking forward to seeing this mighty mountain, and he talked to the director of the conference about being able to see it, and he said the best time to see it is early in the morning, but you have to get up really early. But there's a heavy mist that builds up in the morning, and it covers covers the whole mountain. And when they got there, they couldn't even see the mountain because of the mist. But the director said, you get up early in the morning, you'll probably be able to see it. Well, he got up early, but even in the morning early, the, uh, it was, the, the mist was there. He couldn't see the mountain. Same the next morning, the same the third morning. Finally, it was the last morning that he was there, and he got up even earlier hoping that he could see the mountain. And sure enough, he could. It was worth it. The beauty and wonder of this gigantic mountain, snow-capped on top in all of its beauty, was, was a sight to behold. And you see, God is always present with us, just like that mountain was right there. But he couldn't see it. And if we really want to see him, if we really want to know him, we have to have a clean heart. We have a choice. It's a choice between confessing our sins or covering up our sins. And we can use all kinds of defense mechanisms that we have developed over the years to keep us from dealing with, with our sins. And if we do, uh, then we'll, we won't really be able to experience God's goodness and mercy and love and forgiveness and power and usefulness. So one of the things we often do is, is what's called projection. This is the method in which we project or shift the blame to somebody else. Many people constantly do that. Little children especially are guilty. Oh, it wasn't my fault. It was my brother. It was my sister. And, and that's what we often do. That's what Adam did in the garden when he said, no, it's Eve who gave me the fruit. And that was Eve when she said, no, it was the devil who gave me the fruit. But they were all projecting somebody else onto somebody else. 
and it's the employee who says after unethical practices, well, the boss made me do it, or the dieter who says, well, it's not my fault, it's my wife who prepares the rich food, or the workaholic father who feels guilty about absence, he says, but, but the economy's bad and I've got to work hard and extra. It's the teenage girl who feels guilty about something and says, it's, it's my boyfriend's fault. The student who fails to make the grade blames the teacher, and on and on and on. But you see, it's each of us that has to take responsibility to have a clean heart. We can't blame that on somebody else. Another defense mechanism we use is rationalization. And the human mind's incredibly adept at creating compelling justifications for sinful behavior. The simple cliches are well known. Everybody's doing it. Or nobody got hurt. A one wrong deed is not bad. I'm going to do this just one time. Or he had it coming to him. These simple justifications are so easy to use and so tempting that we can catch ourselves feeling okay about it. You know, it's not too bad. It wasn't so bad. And we have a right to self-pity. Our situation's tough. We have a right to hate because somebody hurt us. Uh, and, but we can rationalize, and all that does is keep us from God's power and presence. Third of these mechanisms is comparison, where we compare ourselves with others and come out looking good. But that does not deal with our sin. If you think I'm impatient, you should see the lady across the street. And if you know, I know my personal devotional time isn't what it should be, but other people in my Bible study, they hardly ever even have one. But just because we look better than someone else doesn't mean we have a close walk with God. A more sophisticated form of, def of defense is suppression. If you cannot live with the reality of our sin or our mistake, we attempt to submerge it or suppress it. Unfortunately, this takes an incredible amount of emotional energy, and the attempted suppression is never complete. A conscious mind doesn't easily give up its hold on reality. Like beach balls that are playfully submerged by youthful swimmers, the, the, the balls keep popping back up out of the water. There's another defense mechanism which is very close to suppression. It might be called distraction. It's to do something to get our mind off the problem, keep the television on all the time, keep the car radio blaring, uh, keep the video games going, go to the movies and the parties, use tranquilizers to put us to sleep, fill our schedules up so tight. There's no time to think. There's no time to be still and know that he is God. No time to contemplate God at all. No time to examine our own hearts and be right with him. And that's, uh, that's something that is especially prevalent in our time, I think as so many people are busy, busy, busy. Another distraction is isolation and to avoid the people in places that call you to accountability. That is, stay away from godly friends, quit going to church, because there you're reminded that you need to get right with God. And those are the kind of things we do to keep us from really experiencing God's best. It's, it's so foolish. David realized he was rationalizing and he said, when I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. You see, unconfessed sin in the heart of a believer is the inevitable source of frustration and despair. And it does nothing but destroy us. So, first of all, we need a sincere heart. And then we need a clean heart. And we can walk right into the presence of God. We can spend time with him. We can talk with him. We can worship him. We can acknowledge him. We can come to grips with whatever he would have us do. And that's what he challenges us to do. Let's do it today. 
Get your heart clean. Get your heart sincere. Experience God's best. God bless you. Have a great day.